welcome to another episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me wandering the wilds of the internet as Walsvio. Today, I am here once again with our new co-host, Chris Bell. Hello! And Chris and I are going to do some reviews. So we're going to dive right in because we don't have a lot of time because library's closing in about 45 minutes. Decided to do it late today. <laughs> well, we just uh, chased off the kid. I mean, the kids' parents just all picked them up. And so now it's time to talk some, some games. Let's talk an old game, one that's been out for quite a while, over a decade now. And that is Ghost Stories. First time we've had a chance to play it here in the room, though. Uh, what do you think about it, Chris? Or what uh, is it? Well, Ghost Stories is a cooperative game. I'm not sure what I would compare it to. Um, it's a very angry cooperative game that wants to punish you for playing it. It is. It is difficult. In Ghost Stories, the players take the role of various monks. Taoist monks, I think? I don't know. Some sort of monks. And they are protecting a village from the creeping ghosts. And there's a, a major bad guy ghost that you are trying to defeat one of his forms at the end. And if you live that long, and if not all the village is turned into ghostly remnants of what it once was, you win. What makes it so difficult is um, if you are taken over by a ghost, you, you lose. If the town partially is taken over by a ghost, you lose. If there's too many ghosts, you lose. Right. There's a lot of ways to lose. Many, many ways to lose. So, um, I would have to say that we love cooperative games. Cooperative games are great for the space. They're wonderful because you don't get so much aggressive com competition. And, you know, they, they work, you know, the whole, hey, we're working together. Isn't it nice? I'm going to say Ghost Stories is not a win. No, it's, um, it is, I would consider it a worker placement game that, Every wrong move will have you clambering back from your mistake for the next 10 turns, whether you realize it or not. And there's lots of randomness with the dice that are rolled and with the cards that are drawn. And it's really tough to sort of dig deep into it. When I first played Ghost Stories way back when it was brand new, I loved it. And then we played it here with one of our young patrons. And we thought, this is neat, but we did horrible. Let's try it again. And then when we knew the rules again and... We were all playing, and it was very exciting, and then we got just slapped around like, uh, you know, like really bad. So, for me, Ghost Stories is going to be a red light. I don't think I actually ever want to play it again, and not just because we were playing with this kid, but instead I think the game experience uh, is not fun, and it's not approachable, and there are so many other ways to do it. How about you, Chris? I agree with that statement. Um, the game, it is very easy for you to lose the game. Not because you made a mistake, but just because you had one or two bad rolls. Not even a string of bad luck. Just one bad moment. Righto. Okay, so for you, red light or green light or yellow red light? light red light, okay. So for those who don't know, our rating scale is uh, red light is we just don't think it's a good game or it's a broken game um, or it's inappropriate for libraries. Uh, you know, yellow light is, oh, maybe, maybe not. It's appropriate for certain kinds of groups. And green light is one that we love, and we think that if you're doing it for the right type of group, that you will find it to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. All right. On to the next one. Let's talk Tower of Madness. Towers of Madness is a great game. Uh, it plays like Kerplunk uh, with cards and a little bit of a 
team-based aspect to it as you continue the game through? Right. You are playing to try and uh, deal with all these locations. And as you're dealing with the location, it's sort of got that Yahtzee aspect where you're trying to get, you know, the mind, the, uh, I don't know what the three, the three specific dice results are. And then you're also trying to get points um, with your remaining dice, your remaining two dice, to try and have the highest total. And if you are the person who succeeded with the first three dice and had the highest total, you are going to get to win that location, which means if you have the highest point value at the end of the game, you win. However, it is possible for everyone to lose. So it's it sort of feels like, hey, there is a group of winners, but one person is the best winner. Yes. And then there's losers. And one of the, uh, the bad guys could end up being the winner, and then everybody else is the loser. Absolutely. Um, it plays with a little bit of randomness. Um, as you fail... Um, you pull sticks out and marbles fall down. The marbles are all different colors, uh, right, which relate yeah. to different elements. To set up the game, you have a tower in the center of the table. In that tower, you have stuck a bunch of sticks with tentacle things on the end, and you have put a bunch of marbles into that. And as you have failed at things, as Chris has said, you will pull out some of those sticks and marbles will fall out. And if it's a specific kind of marble, hey, you might learn a spell. Very good for you. Or you might go a little bit more crazy. Or bad things might happen to the world. And if bad things happen to the world enough, the world ends. And if you were the cultist and you were insane when that happened, then you die last and you win. Absolutely. I think it's a great game for libraries. It's uh, easy to get into. Rules are quite simple. Relates to a lot of simple games such as Yahtzee or Kerplunk Mm. to help newer players understand the game mechanics. And the Cthulhu Mythos kind of stuff is still fairly popular right now. And, you know, you're seeing tentacled horrors and more and more video games, you know, as graphics get better and more able to do that kind of stuff that uh, you're going to. It, it's a common fun theme uh, dealing with madness and, and despair. Wait, maybe maybe that doesn't fit together. <laughs> uh, but that's from Smirk and Dagger Games. And so for me, I think, yes, for the library, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, teens or tweens, and you're looking for a really cool, eye-catching game to have set out that people, they can just play with it. And they can say, all right, we're trying to not get the wrong you know, colors to pop out and not mm-hmm. deal with the rest of the rules. You could just play more with the Yahtzee element up front. Um, there's a lot that you can sort of do to massage the game to make it be appropriate for your space. But as it is, and it's so eye-catching, it's really cool. We'll try and put a picture of that in the note, show notes. Um, for me, I think it's going to be a green, green light. Absolutely. I agree. Green light all the way. Um, great game. You set it up and people will ask about it. They'll want to sit down and they'll want to play with it. And if you can't even teach it to them, they're going to play with it anyway, even if they don't play it by the right rules, because it's just that kind of, you know, cool. Absolutely. The next game we have is The Mind. I knew you were going to say that. The Mind is a uh, silent game. It's a card game. Uh, cards numbered 1 to 100. The player's goals is to play all of their cards in order um the trick is you're not allowed to talk to each other when you're playing your cards and it's a cooperative game so if chris and i are playing against each other we are trying to using our mind alone figure out what the other player is going to play and get our cards put in order now what happens chris if we think we can't get it right if i think there's no way that that we can guess who's who's got the next best card what do we do 
Um, well, there's a mechanic in the game, uh, Shuriken, oddly enough. Mm. Um, if all players agree, everyone discards their lowest card, uh, yep. which can give you a lot of information and is really the only way to give you information. Right. And you need to, if you're playing with kids, they will not understand the kind of information that is giving them. But it sort of helps them figure out, you know, a little bit more about perspective and perception. So very interesting. I think it's a decent game for the library. It's very fast. You get five minutes or less running through it. Uh, very well suited to just people drop in, drop out, play. So I think it's a great game for a library. You know, it kind of reminds me of a slightly less angry version of the game and the game on fire. So in, in the mind, you the first round, you're trying to... Everybody gets, what, two cards? One card. Or one card, and you're trying to everybody get them in the right order. And you'll lose one of your lives if you fail. All right? Video game style. Yes. Second round, you get two cards. Third round, you get three cards and so forth. And you might get additional resources like extra shurikens or extra lives, depending on how well you do. And so you're sort of scaling up. But you can tell that if you've lost a life in the first round or two, that you're not going to get up to where you get all of the cards that you're supposed to have at the final round, based on number of players, if you're if you're likely or not to succeed. Yes. Um, it is a game that uh, lends itself to being played a few times. You kind of get into people's rhythms, understanding how long they'll wait to play a really high card or how fast they will throw down a relatively low card. And it is very, very against the spirit of the game for you to count that many seconds. It is. And then throw down the card. Because that would be cheating. Though it would be interesting, uh, as one person might count one, two, three, or someone else might count one, two, three. Right, but you can sit there and bob your head every time you count. You can, right. but it is a, it's, it's a big game of chicken. It really is. A chicken, cooperative chicken. It is a cooperative chicken. That would have been chicken. a great name for this game. <laughs> cooperative chicken. Glorious. So... I think that the mine is very exciting. It's a small deck of cards. It's got a low profile for your shelves. It's the kind of thing that people will take home if you circulate games and play it over and over again over the course of the evening. Um, I would suggest sleeving it because the cards will get shuffled quite a bit. Yes. Um, but it's not that expensive, so it's not a huge deal if you don't sleeve them, I don't believe. But it's one of those that you'll have around the table, and once you teach the, the people how to play it, <laughs> you know, uh, when they played without Chris and myself, the results were not as good as when they played with Chris and myself. That's true. <laughs> the game works a lot better when you have a few people who are on the same wavelength. Indeed. Indeed. So that's the mind. I don't know if we reviewed the game previously, but let's do a real quick review and throw that in here as well. Um, the game, and you're going to find it better if you look for the game on fire. There are four decks and or four stacks in front of you. Um, two of them are one hundreds and they go down, and two of them are ones and they go up. And you have cards in your hand, and on your turn you have to play at least two of the cards to these decks, and you are trying to play either lower than the one hundred or higher than the one. And you know, so two of the stacks. Once you've played a number, people cannot play higher than you, and the other two they cannot play lower than you unless they manage to play exactly something that's 10 higher or 10 lower. So it's, it's, it's a lot like the mind, only I think the multiple stacks give you a lot more information to play with. 
Yes, and there's a bit of more back and forth between players. Uh, I think I actually like the game better, but I do think the mind is great. Similar genres, but they take it in two different directions. Two completely different directions. Because with the game, you can say, don't play over here. You can't tell them what number you have. But you can say, I want to play on this one. Which either means you have like that next number, or maybe you have one that's exactly 10 higher or 10 lower you know, mm-hmm. to help, help the group. And then you curse your friends uh, angrily <laughs> <laughs> when, when they play in the wrong spot. Yes. So, alrighty then. Let's move on. Dude. 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 All right. So, <laughs> this game is called Dude. And it's from our friends at North Star Games. They sent me copies to talk about for onboard games. And I thought, you know what the heck? Let's talk about it here. Oh, Tower of the Madness, that was a review copy as well. Uh, so, Dude and More Dude is a very simple game where there are two things that will be said over the course of the game. One of them is Dude. And the other is sweet. So what happens is you're all sitting around the table. You have a stack of cards, a la sort of happy salmon. And you are not letting people see what your card is, but you are saying dude in the way that is reflected on your deck of cards on the top of your stack. So it might be sort of hippie dude, or it might be dude with lots of O's or dude with a question mark. And if somebody else is saying it the same way, or you think they are, you look at them. And you say, sweet, sweet. And if you both sweet, you flip over the cards. And if they match, you've scored those points. And if they don't, then those cards go to the center. No one gets to score those points. The round is over when somebody runs out of cards in their hand. Yes. A very simple game. Um, It's a game I would suggest you play once. With doors. With doors. And then don't bring it out till the next day, at least. (laughs) <laughs> um, all right, so we we had it in here in the room. Um, it is it is the dumbest fun you will ever have with a, a card game. Uh, you know, a la Happy Salmon, except for you don't have to get up and run around the table. Yes. And it's particularly entertaining to the kids because we got it out. We had them play it once. And what, an hour and a half, two hours later, they were still duding it up. Yes. And... <laughs> As some kids would drop out to go home, other kids would drop in and start playing. And then Chris comes to me and says, we need a time limit on that game. (laughs) Yes. Um, Dude is stupid fun, but hearing 20 different ways of saying dude for an hour is a uh, bit taxing. Now, there aren't 20 different ways in dude for you to say dude. However, there's another game called more dude yes and what's the difference between dude and more dude chris dude has the word dude more dude has pictures of dudes so they're gonna be like a cowboy or a robot or a surfer or an italian chef and you have to say dude like you are one of them yes um the games work great if you play them by themselves or mixed together mm. uh it it is as simple as you could make a card game, really. It really, it really is. And it is a Target exclusive. So if you want Dude, you need to go to Target to get it. And they are both standalone games. Dude and more Dude, you play alone. 
if you have an area where people can play games where noise is not an issue, I highly recommend this game. It could be a game that you only break out on your games days or your game nights when the rest of the library is not open or you're doing in the meeting rooms or something like that. 100%. Now, on the other hand, if your teen area or your kid's area is out where it's open to the rest of the library and you don't have doors, red light all the way. Absolutely. However, if you have closed doors, it's a great game for getting people to loosen up, to have a good time, and to really just have some fun and get ready to have more fun. Yes. yes. Well, uh, speaking of of games to you know let people have fun and have a good time, not so fast, man. Not so fast. Not so fast is a uh, another card game with nuts. Uh, the goal of the game is quite simple. If there's a certain pattern of nuts, grab one of the nuts. Um, that's not the goal of the game. That's or that's play the game. So what's the goal of the game? To score, well, to lose the fewest points. Right. Okay. How do you get points or lose points? Well, when these patterns show up and everyone goes for the nuts, uh, musical chair style, there's not enough nuts. Whoever didn't get themselves a nut gains all the points for losing. <laughs> so it might be that I uh, I take my negative points out from under my stack and give them to you, or the cards that are out in front of me, they go to the whoever the loser is, or I have to put them under my stack, depending on what you do. And the way the game plays is that um, there are certain numbers of nuts. If you have the right, you grab a particular type of nut on the board. Like if there's two pairs, you're going to grab what, the almond or the pistachio, pistachio or, something or something like that. And if you have all of them match, you've got four of exactly four, or is it exactly six? Uh, I don't know. I hate this game. All <laughs> right. Um, I really, really dislike it. However, the kids played it here in the library. They kind of liked it. They liked it a lot better than I did. They, they, they dragged other people into playing it with them. Um, and what's the weird thing? There's the numbers. When you play down a number, how's it go? Um, there are, I'd call them... Emote cards, I guess. Sure. Um, there's little actions on the cards, like put your hands behind your head, raise one arm, touch your elbow, or um, finger guns, or different silly poses. Right. If someone draws a number, do the pose. Last person loses. Right. So each game, there are three poses that are drawn out and attached to different numbers. And if somebody does it, you strike that meme pose, whatever it is, if you're going to dab or if you're going to finger gun or what have you. Yes. So, um, the kids like it. I do not. It is very much a game that lends itself to kids. It is a kid's game. It's a fast, silly game. Um, it is not a game to take seriously. Right. So it, it is. It will be a hit with your younger audience and your older audience will despise you. And by by younger, we mean tweens and teens, not probably below tweens. Probably not below tweens, yes. Now, and the, the pieces you grab are great big chunky pieces of wood, so you don't have to worry about those being damaged. There are enough cards in the deck that even if you, if you get you know mangled, it's not going to matter. Or, heck, you can leave them in. As long as everybody has a chance at knowing what they are, it doesn't really matter in this game. It's yeah, not absolutely. that kind of game. And you always have two cards out in front of you after the first turn. And when you flip over a card, you're going to cover one of those up. 
Yes. Right? Is that how we, that's how we were playing it. That's how we thought it was supposed to go. You pull um, a card, check for patterns, pull another card, check for patterns, and you go around the table. Keep doing it until somebody grabs a nut. There you go. So that is not so fast. That is from Smirk and Laughter Games, which is another imprint of the uh, Smirk and Dagger folks. Where there's not a lot of betrayal. It's all, uh, hey, you're trying to rush and hurry and grab nuts, which is, you know, amusing in and of itself. Yes. So let's get a little bit more serious. I think it's time to do, do, to do some seriousness. And let's talk about Warsaw City of Ruins. That's from our friends over at Northstar. The folks who brought us Dude. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, this is a little bit of a, a little bit more serious game. It's a city building game where, you know, on your turn, uh, you're going to, Everybody grabs a bunch of card of tiles, rather. You're going to take one. You're going to pass to the left or right, depending on which round it is. Hmm. And then everybody is going to sort of at the same time say, hey, I'm going to build this or I'm going to sell this tile. Yes. And if they build it, they then have to install it in their city. And that happens for, what was it, four turns or something? There's, I, there's yeah, Something like that. There's a batch of tiles that you're going to go through until you've gone through all the tiles. At the end of that, you're going to score... That's going to happen like three times. And at the end of that third time, everyone has to lose a tile. Yes. And then you do another round of that where everybody's getting tiles and, and doing things. And you then lose a tile and then you lose another tile and then you score. Yes. <laughs> and that's World War One, and then World War Two. Absolutely. And so your city is pretty wrecked if it's not built right. And then... There's one more round where you're doing building. And now at the end of each of these rounds, before you do your scoring, there were special tiles that you would win if you had the most of a color or if you had the most contiguous of a thing or the largest area. There's a whole bunch of different. Yes, they just give your districts a little bonus. Yeah, different district bonuses. And some of them affect when you put it down and some of them have sort of more of an ongoing ongoing effect of some sort yes. um, i guess they all do have an ongoing effect but um it is a little bit stressful when you have to start removing tiles if you didn't build them up correctly yes especially if you've covered up all of your first rank tiles mm -hmm. which when you cover up a tile with another tile you have to pay less to put that out to install it into your city yes you can invest to make your city better in the future um, but the more you invest, the greater your risk, because you don't lose the top tile. You lose that entire section of your city. That stack. And if that you breaks up your, you can't break up your city, right? No. So there might be tiles that you can't lose because are, they're just not eligible to come out. Yes. Your city can never be broken in two parts. Uh, so you can never disconnect a section, which can force you to discard some things that you are would much rather keep right now i played this a few times and I, each time i played with sort of a different strategy and a different way to look to win and it was kind of neat so if you're looking for a light to medium weight city builder I, I push it up to medium mostly because of the oh my gosh you have to plan for this destruction yes. that's going to happen um, it's not that deep of a game uh, there was one or two little rules questions that weren't made real clear by the rules uh, unless we just sort of misunderstood it on our own end. Yeah. But I really like this game. Yes, I thought it was a great game. Um, it's definitely a game that could be played 
by a lighter group, or you could really try to plan it and micro and play it as a heavier city builder. Right. Now, um, North Star Games did send this to us. So, you know, it's in my personal cop collection now. But yeah, Warsaw City of Ruins, I think, is if you're looking for some sort of lightweight city builder for your library, especially one that has a little bit of risk, it's not all, hey, build, 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 and call it a day, yes. then it's, it's a neat twist on that. And, and I think it's pretty cool. Yes, I think it's a very fun game. Plays up to four players. It did play up to four players, yes. Yes. But uh, Chris, why don't, why don't you pick our last one? What are we going to talk about? All right. Well, I'd say our last game is Thanos Rising. Oh, a uh, relatively new game. It is. Um, it is Avengers Infinity Wars themed. Yep. Yes. Uh, the point of the game is to stop Thanos's rising. Hey, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting that we started with Ghost Stories, which is a cooperative game. Yes. Where you're trying to defend a city um, or town or whatever it is against ghosts. And now we're trying to defend the universe against Thanos. Also a cooperative game. It is. Um, and it is also a relatively difficult game. Or it can be depending on how the cards treat you. Right. Now I've heard it's similar to some of the other deck building games. Um, but I, I don't actually feel it all that much. Uh, basically, you're going to pick one of the Avengers. Right. And that's your starting set. You've got this person is your is your character. Yes, your leader. Now, when your leader dies or gets beat up, are you out of the game, or do you pick another character of one of your other characters to be your leader? Um, you don't necessarily need to have a leader. Um, they are leader in that they are a bit stronger than the other characters. Oh, okay. Um, they can take a bit more of a beating, and their power is decently powerful. But they also get shuffled into the deck of people you can recruit later, right? Yes, but they are difficult to obtain. Yes, yes. Um, and so it's also got that Yahtzee aspect where when you're rolling the dice, you're trying to get specific symbols. Mm-hmm. And different colors of dice are more likely to give you specific symbols. So yes. I was playing Doctor Strange, and there were particular kinds of people I could go after more easily than I could go after others. And then I got more of those people with those same colors. So it was like, I'm going all mystic all day. Yes. And, and you were playing whom? I was playing uh, Captain America with the uh, um, yes, Captain America with the Avengers, yes. um, who was a very fight character, very fighty. Yep. So lots of fight dice, trying to go for the big hitters, the Hulk, and uh, similar heroes. The game plays. Um, you've got three piles of heroes slash villains that you are trying to recruit and or take down depending on which side they're on. Thanos is constantly attacking one of the three sides of the table. Um, You roll dice, he rotates around and punches all the good guys, and then all the bad guys get to do their special ability if Thanos is with them. Um, And it also has a bit of a timing mechanism. You're rolling for Thanos' stones. Every turn, he's making progress on his stones. And as he gets them, he gets more powerful, he gets more abilities... And it gets harder to beat him. Yeah, it, it can feel rather steamrolly once he starts getting his first couple of stones. And I don't know, is it best to let him get one and really keep the other ones down? Or or sort of try and keep all of them just from happening and hope that you don't get hit so hard that three of them trigger at once? Yes. You know, it's, it's not pleasant either way. 
it it feels like you sort of have a chance at it until you know all of a sudden you don't. It's yes. Like, oh, we can do this. It's striving. It's tough. And the differences with ghost stories, you can see you can see that doom looming 20 miles away. Absolutely. And, and it's the question is, do we try as hard as we can to win or do we fold? Uh, in yep. this case, uh, Thanos Rising, it's not really my kind of game. I, I, I will play it, I think, again, if folks like it. I recommend it if you have in your collection, you know, some more gamerly games or something that's a little more, you know, for game enthusiasts, it's going to be, you know, a mid-range sort of game. Yes. Um, for a library collection. And it's got that Marvel theme, which, hey, we're right in Marvel season. We're coming up on Avengers War 2 or whatever they're calling it. You know, yeah. Captain Marvel's not too far off to be seen, I guess, February probably. I believe it's in that range, yes. That, uh, that right now is the time to get your Marvel games, right? If you're going to get Absolutely. a Marvel, a copy of the Marvel Codenames, get it now. I don't recommend it, but if you're going to get it, get it now because it's all of a sudden. Yes, it's, it's all the rage. Oh. Um, and I think Thanos Rising is a good library game. Um, other games, such as Ghost Stories, which we're comparing it to a lot because we are. Um, it just seems super you, relevant to this episode. It does. Um, you definitely have a chance to win um, until you don't. Um, there is a, I'd say there's a tipping point every game. If you can get strong enough to beat Thanos before that point, you're probably going to win. Once you hit that tipping point, you have maybe two turns left and it is over. Um, right. So, so it, there's not a lot of long suffering. No, it is. You are either going to win or you immediately know you're done. You're done. Oh, interesting. And so you, do you like this game? I think it's a very entertaining game. Um, it's a bit on the simpler side um, and it is relatively difficult, but I do think it's an entertaining game to play a few times. Right. And it's the kind of game that if you get kids who are excited about it and they're interested in it, it's got a pretty good shelf or, I mean, sorry, table presence. Yes. It's got a nice big bulky, um, you know, figurine of Thanos on it. We didn't get the one with the big glove, which is sort of a shame, the limited edition or whatever it is. Yes. But, um, I'm sorry, Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't write in. I, I know what it's called. I just didn't care for a second there. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say yellow to green and that's probably hampered a little bit by the fact that i just didn't personally care for it but i think it is a well put together game and uh yeah i would go ahead and say it's green i believe that whether or not someone likes it it is a fair game um it is simple easy to understand and it's not a game that punishes you harshly for mistakes but it is a game that asks you to play well all right so, as you may have just heard seconds ago, they have pulled the gate in the library saying, hey, we're getting ready to shut down. Everybody get out. Turn off your computers and get off. Yes. So, we're going to wrap this up now. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, let us know what you think about any of these games, if they're games you have in your library or own personally, You know whether you think our evaluations are, are they appropriate or not. Um, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. And you've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com. 
where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible.